Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back for another thrilling episode. Episode 15. That's got to be, that's some kind of benchmark, isn't it? 15? Some, that's some fraction. I, I, no, not really. It's not, it's not a benchmark at all. Okay, well, I thought it was. Teaching is our skill of the day of this episode having trouble with words today tanda what what skill class is teaching teaching is a skill class a minus oh somebody didn't study hard enough okay Hmm. well that sounds right to me uh tom what did you find in your research on teaching uh well by research if you mean hearsay one time i heard that computer games were created to get people to learn how to use a computer and learn how to use a mouse and a keyboard and uh, and actually engage with this machine in the form of a game. And I like that hearsay. I think I'm going to make a Wikipedia page about it, making so that it becomes true, at least in the years to come. But it's, it is true. I think motivation is the greatest teacher and, and that that hearsay proves it. For some reason, the only thing I got out of that was the computer mouse. And um, I happen to know an interesting fact about the computer mouse. It was invented by Xerox as a utilization tool for a system that they made, and then they didn't care about it. So then someone else took it, left the company, and uh, basically founded, was it Microsoft or was it? I can't remember. Uh, I believe Apple bought it. Well, the, yeah, there's the uh, mythos, at least, that uh, Steve Jobs was touring Xerox, kind of uh, took the idea of Windows as a concept, not not Microsoft Windows, but windowed operating systems from that and exploited it with the early Macintosh. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know about the Windows thing, but I do know about the mouse because I used to work for Xerox. And that was something that was talked about even when I worked there, even though it had been decades later. Oh, yeah. And it was wood. The The enclosure was wood. And the, if you look at those pictures of that first early mouse, it was like a prototype and it was a wooden enclosure. It's not the only uh, company from Rochester, New York to make terrible decisions, but uh, that's probably not entirely true. I just know some people from Rochester that'll be really annoyed that I said that. It's a lot of pride up there. It's weird. We lived there for a little while. <laughs> well, then you're allowed to talk about them. Right? They're all weirdos. Oh, wait, I didn't live there, so that wasn't me. Never I mind. paid I paid taxes in that in that city. I can talk bad. So, Tanda, what did you find on your research on teaching? The, the, a little tidbit that I found that was interesting was in a book that I read a long time ago. Um, it was Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, and it's more about learning than it is about teaching. It's this whole concept of 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. But I remember something that kind of stood out to me, and that was that you can achieve the highest, at the highest level, he kind of broke down proficiency levels. And people at the highest level of proficiency do not make the best teachers. And the argument was that once you achieve a certain level of proficiency, it becomes more intuition than than actual being able to explain what you're doing. And over time, you learn, you know, as your learning progresses, 
if you are, you know, a world-renowned doctor, you may be able to diagnose something and not tell someone how you came to that conclusion. But there's another level, and I don't, uh, I looked for it on my shelf a little bit ago and I couldn't find the book. But I think there's a level of technician where you're practicing the skill and you're actually a much better teacher when you're a technician than you are when you become an expert. Well, that explains a lot because I basically do everything on intuition and I can't teach anybody. I mean, and there's something to be said for something you've done for a long time and not being able to explain it. But if you're kind of in the thick of learning it yourself or have just recently, I think that's what he said, was basically after you've just recently learned it enough to become very proficient, then that's the point at which you're the best teacher. This reminds me of a similar thing where people new to a thing, let's say new to a craft, are actually more likely to be revolutionary in that craft than someone that is proficient. I think Picasso is an example of that. I don't really know anything about him, but I believe he was new to maybe painting as a medium and really just blew it open and exploited in his own way, whereas somebody that is proficient may uh, may not look at it with fresh eyes the way someone like he him did. He did? I don't know. And I think that makes a good combination, too. As someone that's teaching sure. that's still willing to learn or still learning— and students who are asking, you know, what might seem like stupid questions or irrelevant questions to an expert, the person still learning will field those questions and learn from it themselves. And, and you know, everyone kind of grows, grows together. And sometimes those questions are, are totally relevant and take you off in a direction that's new and innovative, as you said. So that's something that I do actually repeat uh, a lot when I do my Instagram stories, I tell everybody to look at everything with a fresh set of eyes, especially places that you've been to multiple times. Uh, that applies to so many different things. But for, let's say, just the workshop, whenever you walk into your workshop, what's the first thing that annoys you? Well, that thing is a problem that needs to be fixed. So instead of looking at it as an annoyance, identify it as an opportunity to improve the shop. And so it's your, that is the way to continually improve is by always, like if you, the other example I give is if you look at a cat, okay? Every time a cat walks into a room, they listen, they look, they sniff, like they've never been in that room before, even though they're there every single day. They constantly reinvestigate it for new things. And that's what you need to do, not only in your shop, but like almost everywhere, uh, I go uh, weekly, actually today, I went to my discount store, and it is one of those stores that they get some things in as like a one-time thing, and then once they're gone, they're gone. So every time I walk into the store, even though I've been going there for years, I have to walk up and down every single aisle and look at every single shelf for new things because they're constantly putting up new things that weren't there and they put them in between things that have been there for years that nobody's buying. So you have to train yourself to constantly be reinvestigating. And uh, I don't know that that has anything to do with learning, but that's at least a mindset that I do try to teach uh, people that listen. I think it's a good teaching mindset because I've had teachers in the past who were literally in so much of a rut 
that they, I had a physics professor in college who lectured from his notes right down to the jokes. He would read oh. the joke that was in his notes, you know, and it was like, you know, I didn't see his notes, but it was like it had a, you know, a little notation pause for possible laugh and then go on. <laughs> and he was literally reading them. And, you know, I mean, things were changing. The world was changing. There were new things he could be talking about, current events in physics. And so I think if a teacher is not seeing the world through new eyes all the time, then they become stale as a teacher. And even if the topic isn't changing, even if it's first semester physics, which isn't going to change a lot, it's much easier to learn from someone who throws in a little bit of that. Yesterday, I saw an article on something because they're looking at things with a new new approach instead of just rehashed. I think a lot of that also has to do with personality. You have to interject your personality into your teaching methods. Uh, when everything is very dry, nobody really wants to listen, no matter whether you're teaching or talking or whatever. But when you add your own personality into anything, kind of like this podcast, people will tend to listen more than just tuning out. Oh, definitely. I mean, I've, I I think we've all had had teachers or instructors, and a boring topic was made interesting by an interesting teacher, and vice versa. Absolutely. And on that note, I went and did my deep dive on teaching. And of course, you know what I look for. When did teaching begin, right? Well, I found two different interesting sort of conflicting accounts. Uh, one is that teaching can be traced back to Confucius in 561 BC, who was the first famous private teacher. And uh, it does say that many Greeks, uh, ancient Greeks, hired private teachers for their children. However, the other flip side of this specifically deals with writing. And it says around 3500 BC, Various writing systems developed in ancient civilizations all over the world. In Egypt, fully developed hieroglyphs were used in Abydos as early as 3400 BC, which is the oldest known alphabet developed in central Egypt around 2000 BC based on hieroglyphic prototypes. So, and then it just continues to go from there. If you look as far as, for some reason, writing and teaching are paired together which I never really thought about it like that, but most of the thing that is being taught is language. All of the other stuff like history and math, and uh, that's for some reason secondary. I don't, I don't know, historically speaking. Well, if you don't have a record of something, you can't really teach it. I think it makes sense in that regard, huh? That's interesting. So if you're a student out there, you should be respectful that writing was actually invented just to give you word problems. That's true. Brutal. Yeah. So I looked up fun facts about teaching, and I found this site, which I found hilarious. Okay. 50 important facts you should know about teachers. Now, I'm not going to read all 50. What I did was I went through and picked out the winners, in my opinion. The number one thing you should know, teachers are passionate people who enjoy making a difference. Why do I need to know that about a teacher? <laughs> That's my question. Teachers, this is number two, teachers do not become teachers because they are not smart enough to do anything else. 
<laughs> What's that quote from uh, School of Rock? Um, those that can't do teach, and those who can't teach teach gym. Yeah, yeah, I think it's something <laughs> like that. That's brilliant. It's wrong. Sorry, I'm not. It's funny though. <laughs> Number three. Teachers get frustrated with students who have tremendous potential but do not want to put in the hard work necessary to maximize that potential. Again, why do I need to know that? These are, these are all important facts you should know about teachers. Uh, number four, teachers love students who come to class every day with a good attitude and genuinely want to learn versus the students they hate who genuinely come to class and want to learn? I mean, what, really? Like, <laughs> Hey, Tanda, sidebar real quick. Yeah. Sidebar, Tanda, yeah. real quick. You know, he said he wasn't going to read them all, but it sounds like he's going to read them all. I think he's going to read them all to you and I, and then... And just edit it out? And then he's going to cut it later. He's going to edit it out. But I think he wants you and I to hear all of them. I know he just said four, but he, that was actually like number 32. And I hope he cuts some of these out. I'm surprised that you're you're counting I, because I was counting too. I was on 34, so I must have uh, caught one that you didn't. But uh. yeah, oh no, I um, I got my calculator. I just keep I did the plus one thing. I just keep hitting equals. It's kind of fun. Oh, there he is. Did you have another one, PJ? Okay, and number 45 is teachers are real people. I, I'm I would I would like to meet the fake teachers. That, that would be... I'm a real boy. Yeah. Uh, number 49, teachers are control freaks. This is like across the board. Every single teacher is a control Every freak. That's, that's making some assumptions right there. Uh, and number 50, teachers hate political aspects of education. I'm not even sure I understand what that means. Hmm. I think this was an assignment given to a student. Write 50 things about teachers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably all, all unverified. Yeah. The only other thing I found interesting was on a different website. And it said 33% of teachers leave within the first three years of beginning their careers. And 46% leave within the first five years. Wow. So there is a high failure rate for teachers. I, I was not aware of that. Shocking. It's a tough job especially teaching in public schools. Yeah, the ROI is pretty poor on that. And I don't think they're making their school money back in three and five years. Well, I will say, as far as failure rate, uh, when I went to film school, uh, we were told flat out that the failure rate was 95%. Not failing school, but actually working in the industry, in the film industry. Mm. The dropout rate mm -hmm. was 95%. So it's very high. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. Tom, I understand you picked something up this week. I did. I bought a f uh, Fuji Semi Pro 2 paint sprayer. I had a Fuji Quantum 4 paint sprayer a while back. I bought it. That was a better deal. I think I paid 200 bucks for that one, and I think that's like a thousand or 1100 bucks, brand new. And I never used it. It was just kind of intimidated by it. And my thinking was, well, if I'm gonna paint something like relatively small, I have to do all of this setup and cleanup, and I just didn't do it. So I sold it, and I made a profit. I mean, I think I made a 
may have sold it for five or six hundred bucks. And another one just popped up, and uh, another Fuji. I said the Pro, Semi Pro Two. It's a much smaller unit, but it's still like a high quality painter, spray painter, paint sprayer, whatever. Uh, I just googled them. They're four hundred and sixty bucks, brand new. You can still buy them, and I paid two hundred bucks for it. So uh, I thought that was a pretty good deal, and because it's smaller. I might be more inclined to pull it out and use it once in a while. So we'll see how that goes. But I have more projects that I want to do. I have to paint doors in my house and I'm thinking about painting my kitchen cabinets and this would just be a helpful thing. What's the difference between the semi-pro and the pro? Did one have a degree? I didn't Google it, but I'll tell you what common things are. So like the Quantum 4 was like a four stage. They're all HVLP, high velocity, low pressure things so the the box that it comes with like the big unit is a compressor of sorts and uh it's so it's all in one you don't need a compressor to spray the paint it it is a compressor so the four stages i don't even know what they do but this one probably has two stages versus four and i I couldn't tell you what i do know is that compared to like the wagner sprayer that's like 100 or 150 bucks this thing is way better um, are we talking about music stages? Because I'm, I don't, I've never painted one of those. No. And why do you have four stages? Can't I mean one stage would be enough? I mean, if you're trying to get up high. Yeah. This is like the Lollapalooza of paint sprayers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The greatest showman of paint sprayers. You didn't answer my question. That's why there's a three ring circus. Well, you you don't have a one ring circus. You have a three ring circus. Like this is I don't I don't understand what your confusion is. But, but that's that's rings. You need a four-stage paint sprayer. It's logical to me. I think our listeners totally understand. Sidebar, Tanda, do you understand what he's talking about? Because I don't. I'm really lost here. I th- I think I'm following along. I think that uh, he needs a four-stage paint sprayer because he's going to try and paint a three-ring surface. I think that's what he said. That that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I, I think. But I, I've never heard of a three-ring surface. Maybe his cabinets. I, I'm not even sure that rings have surfaces, but we're we're just gonna have to roll with it. Oh, he's coming back. So, so did you try it out, Tom? Yeah, yeah. You know what, guys? I have I have a question for you. I just I don't want you to air this. I don't want you to put this on the show. But just be honest with me. Did did I just get sidebarred? Absolutely not, Tom. Oh gosh, I, you guys went dark for a minute. I thought, I thought you were talking about me. Yeah. So, anyways, oh, it's my it's my internet. I think. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I got a good deal on a on a on a really good paint sprayer, and uh, I'm happy with it. PJ, what'd you find? It was a light week, but I did get um, I got some things. Uh, I had a a quick a quick pickup. Somebody was offering a Dayton two horsepower motor. Bounty? Uh, 1750 RPMs. The quicker picker-upper? Quick picker-upper. Uh, it came off of an air compressor, and the air compressor tank sprung a leak, so the guy was just selling the motor. It's a 120-volt motor. It's perfect for a bandsaw. 15 bucks. Nice. So that was a sweet for two-horsepower motor. And the guy even met me part way, so I didn't have to drive all the way down. It was an hour and a half away. He met me 50 minutes in the middle. And then I went over to my new buddies, Sean and Kyle, over at uh, FagFab. They had a box of stuff for me. 
And uh, we, we were sitting there just talking, shooting the breeze. But what I picked up was a Grizzly 1x30 belt sander, which is missing the turn on switch, turn the power switch. No, I couldn't think of that. It's missing the power switch, and uh, it's missing the top cover. That uh, there's, a little, there's a little tiny piece that's missing that I could fabricate. So I got that, and then I got a completely disassembled, what I believe is a Grizzly scroll saw, but that's missing the motor. I think I have all the parts. I don't know that I'm going to be able to fix that, but it was free. So I took it. And uh, the other thing, they were making something for a company, and they were drilling out these blocks of aluminum. And the the middle that they were drilling out, they were using a hole saw. So the middle was a maybe like a two-inch diameter block, like a, almost basically like a wheel blank. And they had four of those. And I said, oh, I, they did a post on Instagram. I said, oh, you guys are making me wheels out of aluminum. That's fantastic. And so when I went over, they gave me the, the blanks. And they're like, nice. you're not going to be able to use these. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to make wheels. And they'll probably end up being rollers for a 2x72 belt sander that I've been planning to make for like the last four years out of a uh, treadmill that I disassembled. And that was it. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in, maybe we'll read it on air. Now, I know I'm going to regret this because it's probably going to take about 45 minutes. Tanda, what is your personal history with teaching? No, I don't really have much of a history with teaching. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, Tom, what about you? <laughs> Sidebar, Tom, she is lying through her teeth, the first breath out of her mouth. She's lying. She's Every other show we've done, all she talks about is how much she teaches. <laughs> she teaches everything, every known subject on the planet and, at the university. At every community center and... <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> And then what does she say? I don't really teach. I don't really teach. That's what she said when I asked her to teach me to weld. I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to get some... Oh, man, she's coming back. She's coming back. Yeah, oh, Tanda, so yeah. you're trying to tell me that you, you don't teach anything? I, I, I teach a few things. I've had... Uh, um, I mean, I think we all teach pretty much constantly. I mean, anybody that's a maker that's out there learning and exploring how to do things... Um, for the most part, I think wants to share, you know, their hard won knowledge. And so I've, uh, my grandfather was a teacher and I just kind of grew up with, uh, you know, kind of this mindset that teachers were to be respected and, and pillars of the community sort of thing. And so if I had the opportunity to teach, I, I tried to whenever I whenever I did and and I do teach at the maker space we're just starting back up in fact uh, this Thursday I'll be teaching first class again since I don't know maybe February sometime really early in the spring when when we were still kind of social distancing and wearing masks and cleaning everything but still trying to teach some classes before we shut down so that was uh, and that's a lot of fun um teaching people how to use the, the mill and lathe and the laser and plasma and different things at the maker space. And I, I like to teach because it's, it's exciting to me to see 
other people learning it for the first time, to, ha- to have that person going, oh man, I could make this, or, or could you use this to make, to make this thing that I've been thinking about making? And, and it's just kind of exciting to be the, you know, kind of the person who opens up that door and, and they see this other world of stuff that they could be making. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, I think that's what I enjoy about teaching. My very first teaching um, opportunity was really odd. I was in college and a class that I had taken was being offered again and a number of people had signed up for the class and at the last minute they realized that there was no professor to teach the class and they didn't want to, you know, I mean, they found this out like the week before classes started and they didn't want to cancel because there were all of these people that were, you know, a couple grad students and stuff that needed it to graduate that, that semester. And so my advisor asked if I would teach the class and that was a, a really odd situation to be hired to teach a class I had taken two semesters before. Yeah. You know, it's kind of weird. I've actually heard similar stories from multiple people where they've taken a class and then one or two semesters later have been asked to teach that same class. I've heard that from several people. Right. It's yeah, it's, it, it is kind of odd. I mean, I did, did very well in the class, and it was a subject that I really am passionate about, but uh, it was really odd as an undergraduate to teach the class and have, you know, other, other peers in the class. Hmm. Well, would you say that that's the, the most uncomfortable teaching experience you've had? Yeah, probably. I mean, I was, I was certainly out of my element. It wasn't as far as teaching goes, because I hadn't really taken any public speaking classes or had ever taught anything. I didn't have any lesson plans or anything. I had the book because they had already, you know, put the book on the on the class list of what book you were supposed to have. So I got the book and read the book. And it was pretty much a, a new edition of the same same one I had used. So it was not a not a big stretch. But yeah, it was uh, I remember one day I didn't have a lesson plan at all. And I got to class and I just wrote uh, today we're going to we're going to just talk about uh, the subject and go play Frisbee out on the field. Um, play ultimate frisbee instead of going to class. And I had two grad students like call me out on it and and get in a real huff over the fact that they were missing one class period of of education. And I thought every college student in the world would have been like, you know, cool, it's like an optional an optional day that we don't have to to go to class out of a whole semester. And I had I had two two people like complain about it, which was really odd that they weren't they weren't getting their full number of classes. Nerds. Yeah, bunch of nerds. nerds. <laughs> Tom, what is your personal history with teaching? You know, I think I I really stepped into my groove as a teacher since uh, I started doing Instagram just a few years ago. And and by teaching, I mean, I mean. It's more of an exposed learning process than an actual teaching process uh, where I just kind of muddle through things and figure them out and then regurgitate them back to whatever audience I I have. And I, I really enjoy that process because I enjoy watching that process. I like watching people 
learn on YouTube or Instagram, things like that. You know, there's there's certainly a place for people that actually know what they're doing. That's obviously helpful. But the the person that knows what they're doing, how many times have you seen this on a YouTube video where like, where they're like, oh, you sped up the footage and and played music over the sound. I want to know what the table saw sounds like, right? Now, granted, people that speed up footage and and play music are are focusing on something entirely different. But when I'm looking up like a tool that I've never used, I want to hear it and smell it and see it and feel it. And there's a need for that also, right? Uh, certainly one is not better than the other, but there is a need for both of those things. Um, how are you smelling it through these videos on YouTube? Because I'd like to learn how to do that. Well, everything smells like my bedroom, but what, uh, it's hard. Well, I don't want to smell your bedroom. No, definitely not. I would agree that that uh, not. I wouldn't agree that I want to smell Tom's bedroom. That not to be confused with that. I would agree that uh, I've learned a lot watching videos on YouTube. That was totally unintentional. I was just watching someone make something, and they did some some technique. They used something a little different than I used it, and they said nothing of it. It was totally irrelevant to them. But I was glad that I saw them do it because I picked up some technique while watching them, you know, regular speed um, video. And I don't mind high speed video, um, you know, for something. Certainly not. But I think there are a lot of YouTubers who do a really good job of showing the essential things and then speeding through it being done again 100 times or 50 times or whatever. Yes. But when they're showing that, that first piece, I can't count the number of times that I've seen in a video where it was like, oh, I never thought of doing it that way. Or, oh, I didn't realize you can flip that over or whatever it happens to be where, you know, I just kind of file it away and go, okay, I'll have to remember that for the next time I'm doing something similar. Right. I think that's, that's a maker trait. Yeah. So I really, I really enjoy sharing that process of learning. Uh, and I think, I think a good teacher is a good learner. Um, maybe not a good English teacher is a good learner. I don't know what the right word is, but you know, somebody that is, is passionate about something and, and wants to learn something is, is very well suited for teaching that, that very thing. I, I think that's a big part of my desire to teach is that I have a, a definite learning addiction. Mm-hmm. I, I am constantly learning something. I'm constantly reading something, watching something, um, trying to learn something new. And I think in some ways my justification is if I can teach someone else that, then I don't feel bad about learning some bizarre thing that I may never never use or I may use very infrequently. But if I can teach someone else, then I feel like, oh, well, all of that, you know, all of that studying was worthwhile. I'm like, you know, so it's, it's, uh, I don't know if I would call it a problem, but I spend (laughs) most of my free time learning stuff. Yeah, same here. And I think, I think the reason I, I think I said this the other day on my Instagram stories, but the reason I teach it is to reinforce my learning process. It really is a helpful tool to try and spit that information right back out, put it in order, you know, and, and kind of write it down in your brain again and again. 
it, it's one of the best ways to learn. I mean, if you can learn enough to be helpful to someone else and start teaching someone else, it will force you to, to learn. Mm-hmm. How about you, PJ? So I'm going to be the oddball in this group. You didn't need to say that. It's, it's, it's known. Go ahead. I know it's a known quantity. I'm talking about this discussion. Gonna be. He's gonna be. <laughs> He's gonna be. <laughs> so when I think about my personal history of teaching, I recall the words of my, my manager when I was a salesman selling Cutco cutlery. And he said, you're either a salesman or you're a professional demonstrator. I'm a professional demonstrator. <laughs> That's, that is, uh, I'm not a teacher. I'm a professional demonstrator. I just show people what I'm doing. And if you could pick up some nuggets from that, that's it. That's like, that's the best you're going to get as far as the maker-related stuff. I don't really teach. I just show people what I'm doing. And it's, most of the time, I think it's interesting stuff. Sometimes it's just interesting to me, which is all I really care about because I don't really, and I've said it multiple times, I don't do stories on Instagram for the people that are watching. I do them to motivate myself. And if you find it entertaining, that's fantastic. But that's actually what helps me get through the day is doing these mm-hmm. stories. Because at the I don't know about everybody else, but when I get done at the end of the day and I go to bed, the first thing I do is watch all my stories to, to see like what I did today and just see, like, did that sound good? Did it, did it come out? Was it entertaining? And um, and then I, I move on from there. But as far as actual, like, legitimate teaching, the only thing I think I'm qualified to... How should I even word this? The only thing I've purposefully taught someone has to do with spiritual practices. Um, when I was living in Memphis, I had a spiritual mentor, uh, I, I, and I worked with him for the better part of three and a half, four years. And he taught me a lot of different things, let's say. And every once in a while, I run across a person that needs, let's say, coaching. They're, they're at this point in their life where they need someone that has the ability to point them in the right direction to find the answers that they need. And over the years, I have been that person for some people. I have kind of uh, pointed them in a direction and, and, you know, validated some of their thoughts, tried to steer them away from bad habits. And in that way, I was uh, a mentor and a teacher. But those were um, people that, you know, popped up that I happened to meet that were the right place, right time. It's not the same thing as what I'm doing on Instagram, where I'm like taking apart drills. and I'm like, okay, this is how you snip a wire. So... That's about it. Other than that, I really don't have any personal history or any teacherly training or anything like that um, that I can speak of. I think it's interesting that you pointed out your Instagram stories being being for you. And I know that uh, I've I occasionally post on Instagram just something to just kind of remember an event or remember something, and it's just kind of like a a memo in a scrapbook or something. It's not anything but then there are times when I've put a you know like a tip or a trick and every time I've done that I've gone back and forth of as to whether I should or not like if it's useful to someone and and then I go back and and look and I think that 
one thing that I don't realize or that a lot of people don't realize initially with the social media is just how broad of reach you have. And so if you're just doing something, there's a handful of people out there that have not seen it done that way or haven't used it or are in a situation where they're looking for um, a way to do whatever little tip it is that you put out there. And so I'm always surprised that people comment that, you know, oh, this is great. Um, you know, and some of that is just kind of courtesy of helping one another out. But sometimes it's like, wow, that person was just at the point where they needed that. And I offered it up. And that feels good. So don't ever question yourself when you get to that point of, is this useful for someone else? Or should I be posting this? The easiest way to go is to automatically assume it doesn't matter. Or, or, or no one, it's to, or it relates to no one. Just see, if you're trying to figure that stuff out, that's not the headspace to be in. What you're trying to, what you should be focused on is the thing, whatever the thing is. Just do that thing, and then once it's done, it's out of your system, you can move on to something else. The, the hemming and hawing or the trying to figure out, that's just wasted energy. That's, you could have been using brain cycles to figure out something else if you'd already moved on. So that's, that's how my process works. I don't question anything. I just do it, and then I move on. And I know I've seen Tom do this practically like every day. It's like, he's just like he's, he just starts doing something, and then if it's wrong, he just says it's wrong and then just keeps going. He, he, just, he doesn't stop. I just hope those people actually watched all the stories in that situation. <laughs> It didn't stop just shy of me telling them, oh, that's wrong. Especially about the batteries the other day. I did that. Well, sucky darn, I think it's time for one of them old-timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hello, everybody. This is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. And if you're a teacher... We know who you are. You're the ones that come in and go up and down every aisle looking for things for your students. Well, I'm happy to announce we have a new teacher's section. And in addition to pencils and compasses and stuff like that, we have the teacher's pet. Have you ever come in just before class and found your classroom goldfish belly up? Well, the teacher's pet is a flash-frozen, freeze-dried goldfish in a pouch. You can keep it in your front desk drawer right there by your Snickers bar. You know, the one you bite instead of biting the kid's head off. And you can just add a little water from the drinking fountain, and it will swell up, and you can drop it right into the goldfish bowl. And Robert's your father's brother. Come on down and get it at Johnson's. They're just $49.95, and they come with a lifetime guarantee. Bring us the empty pouch in, and we'll replace it with a new teacher's pet for $49.95. Come on, visit us at Johnson's Hardware. You'll find us at Patreon forward slash, what are we called? Where do we at? Jim. Jim, quit sniffing paint. Where are we located? Oh, you'll, you'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. What the heck, Nabbit? I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, kids. It's time for crossbreeding. Tom, what skill goes well with teaching? Uh, learning is kind of a, a cheap shot, but learning, learning and teaching, it's what I do simultaneously.
All right, Tom's going to be cheap. Tanda? Yeah. Come back to me. I'll come up with something else. I'll, I'll say design or something creative like that. Oh, good Lord. I think... Uh... <laughs> Oh, man, you took PJs. You took, took the, the easy one and PJs. There goes my answer. Yeah. Oh, All right, Tanda, you got you to gotta tell us yours so you can stall so I can figure out a new one. New one. I, I think I'm going to go with open-mindedness. I think that some of the best teachers I've had were willing to listen to students and willing to change their approach student by student or class by class to get the message across. And I think that that takes uh, some introspection and kind of coming to that conclusion that there are more ways than just the way you usually teach it or the way you usually go about it. And if you're listening and you're kind of interacting with the students, I think each class or each semester, you can pick up a little bit from your students from their point of view or things they didn't understand that you can then integrate into your lessons or into your teaching to give that next class, you know, a little tidbit. So, you know, if class A, there's someone that didn't understand something and had a question you'd never heard before, then you can develop an answer to that and give it to your next, you know, in class B. And so you keep growing your body of knowledge based on what your students are asking. And I think it just takes that, you know, attitude of there's no one right way to to do something. And so I think open-mindedness goes with teaching. That sounded like a teacher answer. <laughs> You're trying to convince me I'm a teacher, but I, I have a brother-in-law who is convinced that I should have been a professor and, and still thinks I will be at some point. I don't know why, but... He doesn't realize you already are a professor. That's, that's okay. Well, I don't know if teaching at a makerspace is, is professorly, even if it's run by a community college. Tom, did you figure anything out? Uh, patience. That's more of a virtue. Patience is not a skill. It, it sure is. No, it's not. Absolutely is. Tom, sidebar. When, when, <laughs> yes. when PJ comes back, just tell him, patiencing. Just add ing, patiencing. Oh, yeah, perfect. Yeah. All right. Yeah, PJ, patiencing is totally a skill. Oh, patiencing. Yeah, I guess that's true. It is a skill. I didn't think of it like that. There you go. Yeah. What'd you come up with? Typing. Hmm. If you're going to be a teacher, you got to be able to type fast. You know, you got a lot of work that you're going to have to put out. So you got to be able to type. If you can't type, you're going to be there forever handwriting everything. So, yeah, teaching and typing go hand in hand. Teaching and typing. Very logistical answer. Oh, now now you just sit behind your Zoom, right? What? Yeah, but in like, yeah, but that's going to expire. Like in 50 years, no one's going to be typing. I disagree with that. Did you take a typing class? Well, you will be because you're going to buy old computers from the year 2040 and restore them. Tom probably took a keyboarding class, Uh, whereas I took a typing class. You know what? Let me tell you, motivation is the best teacher, right? I remember realizing how I learned how to type, and it's from AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. Talking, I mean, that was, I was the prime age for AOL Instant Messenger and talking to my friends, and you had to talk fast, so you had to learn how to type well. And I can remember 
doing just that. And like the motivation was, was community. Hmm. So mine was actually Yahoo Messenger. So I, I like Tanda, I did take a typing class in high school and I failed. I failed my typing class, but I didn't get good at typing until Yahoo Messenger was super popular. And just like you said, you had to be super fast in order to communicate. So I, I didn't study typing. It just kind of came to me second nature. And then somewhere along the way, um, it went from me typing fast and looking at the keyboard to me typing fast and looking at the screen. At this point, I can, if I'm writing my one of my books, I can write up to four to 5,000 words a day. When I took class, a typing class, it didn't help you to look at the keyboard because our, we had typewriters, uh, not keyboards, and they had no letters on the keys. The keys were all blank. Wow. And, and for motivation, we had, uh, we had a horse race. So around the border of the classroom, we had little cutouts of horses. And as your typing speed came up in words per minute, you moved your horse forward to that many words per minute. Um, and so it was kind of like this competition among everyone in the class to see who could get up to whatever, you know, word per minute rate that that we had. What kind of sadistic school did you go to? The usual sadistic school of my of my era. But I have a funny story. We we of course I haven't changed much, I guess. Um, but we one day we had the typewriter apart. I had the top off of a typewriter, and I had the the things that hold the like where the ribbon goes in the typewriter. And this is probably losing some people, but there was a little spring-loaded mechanism, like this wound-up clock spring, that returned the carriage on the typewriter when you got to the end. And they would occasionally break on these old typewriters. So I had the typewriter like completely apart on the desk, and the typewriter repairman came in, <laughs> and uh, the teacher had called the you know somebody from Royal, whoever was the typewriter, and he came in, and he laid into us for taking apart the typewriters and the, you know, the expensive machines that they were and just ripped <laughs> us. You students should not be doing that, blah, 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 for maybe, you know, a good couple minutes. And then he asked where our teacher was. And my teacher, who was all of about five foot one, was standing there with us. And so he felt really bad because uh, she was standing there and, and, and had let us take the, you know, because we had fixed the typewriters and kept them running for like half the semester. Um, but he didn't realize it. He thought she was a student. And so then he went out and apologized to her for, for treating her so bad as a student. For some reason, that reminds me of when I was in the seventh grade and uh, there was a, I took Spanish, but there was a tiny French teacher who was like 5'1". And I was already about 5'6 or 5'7 in the seventh grade. And um, I was coming down the hallway, and she opened the door suddenly and came out into the hallway, and I ran right into her and knocked her over, and <laughs> I ran away <laughs> because I just knocked over a teacher. And she wasn't my teacher, so she didn't know who I was. <laughs> hey, while you guys were talking about something, uh, I went to typingtest.com and did a little typing test for one minute. And apparently my typing speed is 47 words per minute, 93% accuracy on the medium text test. So go to typingtest.com, not a sponsor, 
and tell me what your score is. Mm. I don't think I'm very fast. It says I'm above average, but... Well, that's not too bad. Uh, it's not horrible. I was actually a little surprised. I've become really lazy about um, just typing as fast as I can and then and backspacing and correcting. You know, something you couldn't do back in the day. But mm-hmm. I, I've become a sloppier typer because I know I can just backspace if I see something pop up that wasn't the key I meant to hit. Right. Nobody likes a sloppy typer, Tanda. <laughs> hey, uh, are you going to fix that? Tanda, I understand that you had some automotive issues recently. I did. You may have seen my Instagram post where I had the uh, the door of my truck exposed or the inside of the door exposed. I went to lunch with a coworker, and uh, I don't know what he did, if he pulled on the handle really hard or slammed the door or what, but we get back to the office and and he goes, did I do this or has this always been like this? And the window is down, like all the way down. And I thought, well, what do you, you know, what do you mean? Did you roll down the window or, and he's like, no, the window just fell down. <laughs> and so I, and I went, well, I don't, I don't know what happened, but I'll, uh, let's take our stuff in. Cause we had picked up lunch at a, at a drive through to take back and eat at our desks. So I said, well, I'm not going to let my food get cold worrying about this. I'll go in and come back out. And I came back out and popped the door panel off, the inside door panel off. And I guess it was just old and brittle. The uh, plastic piece had broken and the cable that pulls up the power window mechanism was just kind of loose inside the door. And the handle cable was bent as well. And the window was just sitting down in the door. So I pushed the window back up to the top and I had a piece of uh, brazing rod in my truck. And so I just bent the brazing rod and stuck it in, made a hook out of it to hold the window up and closed it and went back in, you know, and finished my day at work. But then, but the funny thing is, and I'm wondering if this is common, was that, you know, that weekend or this past weekend, I went down to the auto parts store and I've had my driver, this was the passenger side, my driver's side window has been really slow moving into the point where it won't even hurt, it won't move anymore at all. The motor is just just worn out and bound up. And I've put it off for I don't know, probably a year. I mean, I I've I don't go out to drive-throughs that much, but if I do, I just open up the door and and order and I open up the door and and get my food or whatever and and just kind of ignored it. So I needed to fix this other problem and I went down and the parts to fix it were relatively inexpensive. And the time to fix both doors was maybe an hour, an hour and a half <laughs> max. And and it's just crazy that, you know, sometimes you just build it up that it's going to be a real annoyance or you're not going to be able to find the parts or something. And you just, you put some, something off long enough that you just adapt and stop stop even thinking about fixing it. And then when you finally get around to fixing it, it just seems really trivial and you're wondering why you didn't do it, you know, the day it happened. You know, this makes me think that like drive through restaurants should just have window repair people on site all day long, fixing people's windows. Whoops. Uh, <laughs> there, go, there goes Tom's window. Uh, I dropped my fidget toy. <laughs> Whoops. 
you know, that way uh, you know, they don't want to discourage their customers from, from going to the drive-thru, so they just should do window repair right there. I think it's a brilliant, revolutionary idea. I think you found your new calling, Tom. Yes. Wendy's drive-thru repair, window repairman. Or you could just be a window repairman and just kind of stage yourself, you know, on the other side of the drive-thru, and you see somebody, you see some idiot like me open their door to order, you just hand them a card when they... Uh, if you if you can hand them a card, they may look at you and, and motion that their window doesn't work and just drive off. No, that won't work. You have to work for Wendy's. I don't I don't see your vision there. <laughs> Wendy's windows. He needs a uniform. I had my uh, I broke my wife's car in hmm, the latch to open the door from the inside. I don't know what else to call that. I broke it and I just I I hung my head because it's my wife's car, so like. It can't not get fixed. Like she, I I can't expect her to tolerate it for three years like I would. So, <laughs> like you, like you tolerated it. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, this is gonna suck. I was like, I gotta call the Nissan dealership and see if they can give me this part. I'm like, this is gonna be like a hundred and fifty dollar piece of plastic. I was just dreading it the whole time. So I call, and it's like a 2014 Nissan Altima. And I call them, and they go, yeah, we have it. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, we have it in stock. I'm like, really? And uh, I go, all right, uh, how much is it? $14.99. I went, all right, I'll be there in 20 minutes. <laughs> so relieved. <laughs> yeah. Same, I was dreading the thing. whole thing. Yeah, I, in fact, yeah. I need a, I, I don't, I think it just happened. It must have, because he got in and out of the vehicle twice, because um, we went and dropped some stuff off at a vendor as well to get some machining done. But the handle's broken as well mm-hmm. and and the same thing it's like i think it was 19 dollars for the new yeah. handle mechanism yeah and really is a cheap piece of plastic i mean I, there's no metal on it at all and i guess it might be that it's designed to be the fail safe so that you don't like rip the what is that brake line in there that like pulls on the, the stuff um and it is easy to replace that part i know you had more stuff going on but I I did have something similar this week to what you're talking about. I've had a bench grinder sitting, well, actually not sitting. It's moved several times. This bench grinder has moved all over the shop. The problem is on the left side of the bench grinder, the spindles reverse thread because that's how they all are. Right side is right thread. Left side is reverse thread. Well, it was missing the nut to secure the, the the left side wheel, which happens to be a wire wheel. And I have been, I won't say avoiding it, but I've done several searches. I, okay, let me, let me back up a second. I don't know sizes of things, okay? Like some people can just look at something and go, oh, that's a half inch nut, or that's a three eighths, or that's a five sixteenths. Yeah, I don't know none of that stuff, okay? I'm, I look at you, PJ, and I go, that's a half inch nut right there. That Exactly correct. Yeah, see, that's not hard because you can just look at me and I tell. I have that skill. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't have the sizing skill. Like I have two trays full of nuts, and whenever I need, like if I have something that needs a nut, I just pull out the trays, and I just start putting them on the thing until I find the one that threads on, and then that's it. Like I don't – they're not divided up by sizes. So – when it comes to something like this, where I need a specific size nut that's reverse thread, it was basically like voodoo. Like, I, I don't have a tray of reverse nuts that I can try to fit on there. So I don't know what size it is. I don't know what the thread count is. 
And I, I at one point was searching Amazon for selections, like a, like a collection, like a tray full of random sizes of reverse thread nuts. Because I figured somebody's got to sell that. Somebody's got like a kit of reverse thread nuts. Yeah, nobody has that. They, they don't sell that thing, you know? They, that's, I was like, oh, I was so frustrated. So like every couple months, I would just like search for like on eBay or Amazon and I'm trying to find like somebody's got to have a selection of nuts and nobody did. Well, when I went over to Sean and uh, Kyle's place to pick up the stuff, the other reason I went over there was because I wanted them to make me some custom taps for a project. And it was the taps were a size that I thought was no longer made because these are for vintage tools. And mm. they found, uh, well, not they found, they told me about this website that has hard to get taps. And they are the only website that has these taps. And I ended up ordering them there. But while we were going through this process and they were sort of measuring the things that I brought with me for them to make the taps, for some reason, something clicked in my mind. And I realized when you get out the thread count tool to match up the threads, it, it doesn't matter if the threads are reverse thread or forward thread. It's the same thread count. And for some reason, I kept thinking that it wasn't and that it was some kind of special tool that I didn't have. Uh, and so, this is a reverse thread <laughs> indicator. I can't use this. A reverse thread pitch gauge. Yeah, I need a reverse thread tool. That's that's yeah. So so yeah, this thing thanks. is literally like since like July, this bench grinder has been floating around because it doesn't have the nut. Kyle had to make an order from McMaster Car, and um, and he says they have they have the reverse nuts. They've got the reverse thread nuts, and I'm like, oh, it's going to be like twenty five dollars a nut though, you know, because that's how everything on McMaster Car is. It's super expensive, and so he goes, he goes, I found it, because I, I I measured it. It was like a it was a 24 TPI, and then it was like a 3 eighths. That was that was the measurement. So anyway, I asked him to look it up so he could order it with his order. And he and, and I go, how much is it? Twenty five dollars. He goes, it's ten bucks. And I'm like, you've got to be <laughs> kidding me! It's ten bucks for one nut. And he goes, no, it's ten bucks for a pack of fifty. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm gonna have a couple spares. You know, it's a yeah. So. <laughs> But yeah, that that is that that one thing that I don't really understand. Reverse thread held me up. What is it? July? Was it seven months now? I don't know how long the thing has been around here. It's it's just been floating. I couldn't sell it because I can't secure the wheel. So so yeah, that was the thing that was just like in my way. And I I swear I probably moved it like twenty times. It's been all. It's been on every flat surface in my shop. I thought maybe you had ghosts when you said it. it's just been moving around your shop. I thought meant you meant that you came down one day and it was in one spot, and then you came down the next day and it was in a different spot. Oh, that that does happen, but it's not because of ghosts. I have shop pixies. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about your shop pixies. How are they doing? They're terrible. They keep moving things, and I can't find stuff. Well, shucky darn, you did fix it. Ain't that something? All right, it's time for Short and Sweet, and this week we have a special Short and Sweet because we're going to talk about Patreon. Tom, why don't you start us off? Yes, we have some patrons. Huge thank you to our patrons, all of our patrons. Uh, Lauren Musson and Dave Bauer from Dave Bauer Art. Go check him out on Instagram. He likes to draw. It's pretty cool. 
But seriously, thank you so much for supporting the show. And there, there may be some swag coming your way soon. And um, should we tell them now? Should we tell? Should we tell the others? I, I've the been potential t- others. I've been talking to uh, the folks at Johnson's. Are they going to do the sponsorship? I think they're. I think they're willing to kick in a little bit of something. Yes. So I don't think we're going to put a number on it. But the first several patrons to join from this show forward, and we're gonna we're gonna backdate this also, uh, will get some swag from Johnson's Hardware. So in addition to the swag, uh, if you go to Patreon, it actually tells you that what you get be- for becoming a Patreon member is a secret segment that uh, is not aired. Uh, we haven't really talked about this very much, but the secret segment is the segment that comes after the credits. So after the credits stop, you... There's a segment after the credits? Yeah, Tom. You, you're in those segments. You realize that. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. So... Tom didn't realize we were recording those. I, I know. He doesn't yeah. realize a lot of things that are happening. Oh, f- we should have done a sidebar. I'm just here for the cookies and coffee. Wait, you have cookies and coffee? I didn't get any cookies and coffee. I don't cookies and coffee either. Yeah, every week. Cookies okay. Okay. Let me let me finish up the Patreon because you may not know what's going on, but he's got cookies uh, and coffee. I'm hungry now. Uh, do I have any cookies? I have a bottle of water. No, I don't have any cookies. I've got chips. I've got nuts. I need I need to. Where's our intern, Jerry? Jerry, where are my cookies? Yeah, Tom has cookies. He's just shaking his head. I don't know what the going on. You have an intern? Yeah. I don't have an intern. Jerry should be there right now. Oh, is he the one that puts out the cookies and coffee every week? Yeah. Oh. Well, well he's giving impressive. you cookies and coffee. I don't know what he's doing for me. He's basically just loafing. Uh-huh. Um, all, right, all right. Anyway, back, back to the Patreon. So if you look at the first level, the first benefit that you get is the secret segment there or the extra segment. So we're not going to be taking that segment down just yet. We have to get enough. We have to reach a certain amount of Patreon members. And then the segment that comes after the credits will only be Patreon. But that's going to be in the future until we build up enough to actually quantify the segment. Because, you know, we don't want just two people to be, you know, the only ones that hear it. We want all of you to hear it. So we're announcing it now so that you guys can jump on board for a dollar or more. The higher up you go, the more stuff you get, like a custom skill. Who doesn't want a custom skill? And if you go to one of the higher levels, we'll also talk about you in the Patreon's parlor, which is a segment that we've never had because we haven't had any Patreons until now. Do we have Patreons or do we have patrons on Patreon? I think they're called Patreonins, but I will say this, and I will, I will, uh, I will do this myself. But the next ten people, including not including the first two that are on there, the next ten people to join at any level to support the show will get something. They will get it. Will be useless, but you will get it, and you will like it. That's who we are, <laughs> purveyors of useless things. Yes. Yes. Uh, the reason I'm not telling you what it is, because it's not real yet, and I haven't made it, and I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be great. Exactly. So get over to patreon.com forward slash makerskills. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. And now it's time for Ask Old Oswald. Ask me what? Who are you? All right, once again... We're back with Old Oswald. Thank you for joining us again. I know you have a very busy schedule out there on the farm. Yeah, okay. Well, we've got some questions from listeners. You know, uh, I can't say these are good questions, but we, we they are actual questions. Tanda, do you want to start us off with the first one? Well, you know, since... Uh we're talking about teaching, I would say that any question is a good question. The unasked question is the only bad question. So ask away. I think we're going to do our best to disprove that tonight. Like this question from Universal Woodworker. What seeds do I need to plant to get rusty tractors to grow in my garden? Uh, You can plant any seeds. You park your tractor in the garden and just plant something, and it'll it'll grow up around the tractor. That's is he not watering the seeds? Oh, I I think he's asking if there are seeds that he can plant that will grow rusty tractors from seeds. Uh, well, I mean, if it's not rusty already, maybe he's got too much heavy paint on the tractor. Um, I mean, my, my tractors are all rusty. You know, I, I don't have a... Hey, this is a very weird, peculiar problem that this man has. And uh, what's what's his question with the seeds? I mean, if he wants them rusty, just uh, add extra water. Water makes the rust. Oh, well, I, you know, I'm thinking he may be thinking they're kind of like potatoes, like seed potatoes. Like, could you just cut a piece off of a rusty tractor and is there a way you could plant it and grow another rusty tractor? Well, I've been planting potatoes for a long time. I've, I've never found a rusty one. I don't, I don't know. But I, I, I do love potatoes. Well, they're the russet. They're, there's those rusted, russet potatoes. Oh, yeah, okay. russet. Yeah, I do. I do grow russet potatoes on the farm. Yeah, that's true. But I guess that's different, though. The, they're, they're not, you know, you can't confuse them with rusty potatoes. That's, that's something completely different. Now, if your rusty tractor does, you know, if you plant your potatoes next to the rusty tractor, you might get a little rust on them when you're digging them up as possible because the rust could drip into the dirt. That's, that's true. Well, well, thank you. I think that was a good answer, Oswald. Definitely the wisdom of the ages there. Uh, I don't know um, if that was the answer he was looking for. But, uh, Tom, you want to hit us with the next question for Oswald? Yeah, I just want to say thank you, Oswald, for being here. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, your advice is uh, invaluable or not valuable or I'm not sure the word. Uh, Shandy Bear and Co. Woodworks asks, how do you fix a screw hole when too much righty-tighty becomes righty-loosey? 
This sounds like one of those trick questions that my grandson's always asking me. Um, so I he's a righty tighty. Um, so so he's he's a. How, okay, how how is he tightening the hole? That's that's very. Uh, I've never tightened a hole before. It's a. How, how how does that work? Is he is he turning the thing with the hole in it? Yeah, I think I think maybe they're just referring to the screw itself, not necessarily the screw hole. I think they're just like when you when you tighten a a screw too much. And righty tighty becomes lefty loosey. I think that's what he did. Oh, you don't want to tighten a screw too much. You could snap it off, and then you gotta. You don't have a hole anymore. You gotta. Something's filled up with a snap screw. That's bad. Uh, Right, right. That's a. That so that's the question. So so that's what they're asking. So what do you do? Oh well, don't snap off the screw head. That's my. Oh, okay. So just don't do it to begin with. Well, well, yeah. Why would you do that? That's just that's just plumb bad business. There, you, you know, wasting mm. your time, and you got to get out to drill and tap. And, and well, I mean, unless you like drilling and tapping things, but that's that's always. You know, I'd rather be eating potatoes. My personally, I love the gravy. And um, yeah, yeah. Don't don't do that. Sounds sounds great. Uh, I I think we got a couple more, Tanda. Yeah, we've got a we've got another one here from uh, EDS Clocks and More. So Oswald, that Aunt Tanda, that's Ed's Ed's Clocks and More. That's not EDS. No, that's not Ed. his name is Ed. Oh man, I've got like five thousand people that I follow, and I have no idea who they are, and they're probably all Ed, and I just don't know it. It's kind of scary. From Ed's Clocks and More. So Oswald. What was it like when Lincoln was president? I was alive. Pre- president Lincoln? Oh, well, uh, well, my my granddad actually knew President Lincoln. Uh, he, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, my grandpappy used to tell me all kinds of stories. Lincoln was a big prankster. People don't know that about him, but he used to booby trap things all the time and He'd wait and hide in the bushes and watch, and then he'd laugh hysterically. But you'd never actually see anything but the top of that stoved hat he wore. And uh, he, he, he had this really hollow kind of... Uh, my, my grandpappy used to imitate the laugh. It was horrendous. Um, but yeah, he used, to, he used to play jokes on people all the time. And, and uh, they never knew it was him, but he used to confide to my grandpappy because my... Sometimes they were big items, and he needed a second set of hands. And my grandpappy was local. You know, of course, now this was before he was a president. He was pranking everybody. But you have to assume if he was doing this before he was president, the pranks had to go up a notch at the presidential level. Uh, that's at least that's what I always imagined as a small boy. But um, other than that, I, I I don't really know anything else. I mean, I, you know, my grandpappy had all kinds of colorful stories, but that was about it. Um, that that was that was very interesting, Oswald. I I think for some reason Ed thought that you knew Lincoln. Uh, I I don't think he realizes how old you are, uh, because Lincoln was alive back in the eighteen hundreds. Uh, do how how old are you, Oswald? Well, uh, this year I'm turning 105. Well, 
Well, then you know, you're still that's that's not 1800s. No, no, I, I was I was born at the turn of the century. Okay, well that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'll get the last one here. We have a question from Wood Turning by Alan Scannell. Why is ice slippy? Why is ice slippy? Slip. Does, does does he mean slippery? Yeah, I I, I think that's that's what he means. Slippery and slippy are probably the same thing. What kind of question is that? You're probably gonna be asking me why we breathe air next. Kind of a weird problem. Why is ice slippy? Because it's made of water. Okay. Water is slippy. What's wrong with this person? Ask me kind of rarely. Does, how, how, how old is this person? Does he not know how water works? I, I honestly can't answer that, Oswald. I, I, have, I have no idea how old he is. Well, he should be old enough to know the answer to that if he's old enough to ask a question. Uh, do you have, either you two have an answer for him? I, I don't have an answer. I think my answer is, uh, you know, it came to us through social media, and sometimes, you know, they don't really check the age very well. So we have no idea how old this person is. Well, I guess you can't uh, you can't control who's who's on the other end. Well, uh, okay, well, well, that's the answer. So uh, that's all I got to say. All right. Well, um, Tom or Tanda, do you do you guys have any questions for Oswald before we uh, before we ring out here? No, I think um, I think that was an overload. Well, I just want to congratulate you on your uh, 105. That's that's pretty impressive, Oswald, and to, and to show up here on our show. That's uh, we appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Oswald. Now, do you, is there some sort of secret to your to your long life? Uh, something that you want to pass on to the rest of us? Oh, uh, I always thought it was good genes. Uh, and my my grandpappy died at 117. What? Well, that's it's pretty old. That must be some kind of a a record. Oh, I'm not not, I'm not aware if it's a record or not. But uh, he, he he was very active. He worked the farm right up until the day he died. He he was working the farm at 117. Yeah. Uh, exactly. What was he doing on the farm? Uh, what 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 was what was what happened, Oswald? This 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 sounds like a story that everybody should hear. Well, he was riding the tractor and he fell off. So wait, wait, did did he die? I'm, and I'm sorry. What? He he didn't die of old age. At 117, he died from a tractor accident. That's my question. Did he die on the tractor and then fall off, or did he fall off the tractor and die? Well, that's one of the mysteries we'll never know. So you don't know what happened to him? Well, it was kind of hard to tell after the tractor ran over him. Oh, good Lord. God. This is a family show. Uh, we should cut this off. I think we do end this. Okay, okay. Um, well, thank you again, Oswald, for, for, uh, for coming out and answering these, uh, these questions. People are always interested to hear from you, and I'm sure we'll have you on again to uh, hopefully answer something in the future. If you guys have questions for Oswald, please send them in on the Instagram page. He's more than happy to answer them. I think we might have tuckered old Oswald out. I need a nap. <laughs>